Welcome to the Stories of Transformation podcast. I'm your host, Bakhtash Ahadi. Each week I dive into deep and intimate conversations with distinguished guests who share their unique perspectives about the most interesting topics of our time. If you enjoy our conversations, please feel free to share these stories far and wide. How does an actor settle into his or her character? What perspectives or methods does one need in order to be dynamic and versatile as an actor? What is the key characteristic when acting? And how do we overcome stereotypes? These are some of the questions that Farhan Tahir and I discuss in this episode of Stories of Transformation. Farhan has acted on stage, on TV, and on the big screen, starring in major Hollywood blockbusters like Iron Man and Star Trek, as well as countless other acclaimed productions. Farhan is as accomplished as an actor as they come. A beacon of light for an underrepresented community in Hollywood, Farhan is a Pakistani-American. Having spent time living and working in both regions of the world, Farhan holds a unique and insightful perspective on the dual misunderstandings that affect the perceptions from both sides of his identity. Farhan says that the similarities, that the connections that make us all human are greater than the sum of even our biggest differences. I sincerely enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. Please share this conversation far and wide, and as always, leave a review. So without further delay, I bring you Farhan Tahir. Farhan Tahir, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure to be in conversation with you here today, Farhan. I'm really excited to see what will surface during our time together. There's so much that we can kind of talk about based on your impressive history and your impressive body of work as an actor, whether it's in independent films, theater, drama, or Hollywood blockbusters. I mean, people will know you from being in Star Trek to being in Iron Man, as well as you were recently in an independent film called I'll Meet You There, which was directed by our mutual friend and um, previous guest on the podcast, Iram Parwes Balal, who's, uh, who's great. She's got an interesting story, so I'm really grateful to her to putting us in touch. And um, what I'd like to do right now is to kind of drill down into how you kind of understand who you are in relationship to the world and how you navigate the world. So in your own words, how would you go about defining who you are? In my own words, how do I define myself? I think the best word that comes to my mind is that I'm a student. And in saying so, I think what it does is that it always keeps you engaged because you always willing to learn for one thing. I think it should, and it sometimes does, bring a certain humility. And I, I don't mean humility in just in the sense of, of being humble, but in the sense of actually realizing that there is more than just what's around me. Or what I see might not be the only, the only truth. So if I was to define myself, or if I was to say what I aspire to be, is to be a true student. Yeah, that's great, Farhan. So help us understand your origin story. Where were you born? Where were you raised? And what were some things that happened in your life that kind of shaped and formed uh, your life that brought you to where you are today? Mm. <laughs> well, I guess every story is unique. So for me to say that my story is unique is true, as much as it's true for everybody else. My story is I was born in the U.S. Uh, my parents were at that time studying at UCLA Theater and Film. Uh, so I was born there. When my parents graduated, Pakistan at that time was a very young country. 
And my father had the opportunity to lead what would be the equivalent of the National Repertory Theater. And then for a young man in his late 20s to have that opportunity and to miss it would have been uh, a crime. So anyway, we, we moved back to Pakistan. I grew up most of my teenage in Pakistan, with the exception of a few years where I went and lived in England for a bit. You know, and that life had had its, its ups and downs. There were certain milestone things that happened in my life, which, of course, formed me, informed me. For instance, my, my grandfather uh, was murdered when I was seven. Uh, a huge thing. And, of course, can, can create this moment of, of uncertainty at a young age and, and this questioning of life and reality and all of that. So, I mean, so that, I think, so there you go. That's another thing where you get so engrossed in your own reality that sometimes these kind of jerks, these kind of jolts force you to look at life, which might not be the life that, that you have created your tools for. Anyway, so that, that was, that was part of my life. I moved to the U.S when I was 17, 18. And that was because the political situation in Pakistan had gotten very bad and me being a young man was getting a little too vocal at times. So, so it was decided in the family that maybe it's, it's, it's better for me to leave rather than to stay, which could have created uh, a whole lot of issues and problems uh, because of my... My leaning, we had a dictatorship at that point. Mm-hmm. I was young, you know. I mean th- that yeah. that mindset at that time. Right, right. So, so what did you end up doing then? How did that play out? So I, I moved to the U.S. and I went to Berkeley, uh, University of California, Berkeley, to actually pursue economics and business. But I always found myself in front of the theater department. And that was just the beginning of this questioning of who I really was and what really, what really was my passion or what I found as my identity. And although I was decently good at economics and business and all of that, but there was a, there was a tussle between my mind and my heart at that point. My mind being the logical one. Uh, kept telling me to do something that's sensible, uh, that'll make you money, that'll keep you secure and all of that. And and heart is your heart, uh, which always wants you to drive to your passion, you know, something that you love, something that, that, that you connect to emotionally. And it was during that time that I think I kind of realized that my true self would never forgive me myself if I didn't follow my passion, you know. And with it, there are a lot of trials and tribulations that, that may come with it. But as long as you're willing to accept that, as long as you're willing to kind of still pursue what you think your heart calls you to do, then you're okay. And that's exactly what I did. I switched my major to theater. I worked in San Francisco Bay Area for about five, six years in theaters, went for my MFA, uh, which I did at Harvard. Uh, I was there, then I joined their uh, repertory company, which is American Repertory Theater. And slowly things started to move. In the beginning, I didn't do too much film and television because at that time, there weren't really roles that you could sink your teeth into that were written for uh, diverse ethnic groups. 
And my issue at that point was that by by just falling into a more stereotypical, you know, persona or an actor or whatever will limit me to grow for one thing. And secondly, it, it will keep on solidifying this stereotype, which is something that we needed to break. So at that point, I, I decided that I, I should probably focus on theater more because theater is a very different kind of a beast. Uh, and especially if you, if you can handle verse and if you can do Shakespeare and stuff, then color and, 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 and all of that doesn't matter anymore. So basically for the first six, seven, eight years, that's where I, I focused myself. And then slowly things started to happen and, you know, television happened, some film happened and, and here we are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that background explanation. So let's dig into that a little bit. What is it about acting that you truly love? And how did you discover that? How did you discover that was the thing for you? What really, really satisfies me as an actor is that by stepping in someone's shoes, it gives me empathy. On a very personal level, I think that's what acting feeds me. And it widens my my thinking about people. It widens my empathy towards people. It makes me realize that the world and people are not just black and white. We are many shades of gray, and we have to understand those shades of gray. And that ignites my, my thinking because I always think that, okay, if I'm playing a really good guy, there is no really good guy. There have to be some cracks in there. We all have. And that, to me, is really, really interesting to explore those, that what is the antithesis of this person or this character? And where is that antithesis? Because that antithesis also lives within you. So you could be a really bad guy, and yet there could be something vulnerable about you. And so when you bring that in, what that does is that it helps you, even if you're playing a very stereotypical character, you can, you can make it human, at least. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from empathy. Right. Right. I think that's accurate as a matter of connecting with your character, right? As a matter of stepping into who they actually are. So as an actor, what is your process like for stepping into a character, for empathizing with a character, whether they're good or bad? Or, you know, do you take the Daniel Day-Lewis approach where you're doing a method acting approach where you're in character on and off stage? Uh, How do you kind of describe your process Help us understand what that's like for you. Yeah, when I'm trying to step in, into a character, I think there are a few things that happen. So, you know, you read the script, first of all, right? I mean, you have to play what's on the page because there is, there's a storyline, there's, there's an arc to the character and, and you have to honor that arc of that character, right? So, so that's, that's understood. So, so I, I look for the arc of the character first. But then what I like to do is create a matrix for the character within which many things are possible. Okay, help us understand what that means. Okay. When you and I talk, you know, you know me just as one person as far on, right? The person that you've just met. You have a certain image of me, but that image might not be the exact and the true image of the person that I really am, right? So we wear, we wear many different masks, and that's not a bad thing. Or you can say many different hats at different times. And in those, when, we, when we wear those masks or when we wear those hats, we stay true to that character. I play a father in my real life. 
I play a son in my real life. I play an actor in my real life. I play a guy who goes to the grocery store in my real life. Now, all of those, all of those guys, the sum of it is me, right? So when you create a matrix for a character, you're looking at the sum of what this person might be. Then you look at, okay, that this person is going through a certain situation, which is this arc. You see? That this is one of the things that is happening in his life. Maybe it's the most major thing, but yet, what are the other things that are pulling and pushing at him? That enriches me as an actor when I'm playing even a character. Because when I'm talking to you, or when you're talking to me, there are a million things that are happening with us. You came from some other room having some other life for a moment, or before me. And I came after having a life before you, right? And we bring all that baggage in. And sometimes even when we're talking, some of our energies and our thoughts are going that way, right? That's how I create the matrix of a character. I don't know if it makes to other, if it makes sense to other people, but it makes sense to me. <laughs> so, so that's so, so that's that's one thing. Sure. The other thing is that, as you said, Daniel Day Lewis plays his character, and he's like the same person on and off camera. I say whatever works for whoever is the best way to do it. There's no one formula. There's no one science, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't approach characters that. There's certain characters that instantly I can work from inside out. Mm-hmm. There's certain characters that you don't even understand the character until you put on the shoes. Mm. Because th- th- it will inform you how the person walks and talks and blah, 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 blah. So I, I, I try to keep myself open for one thing and see what is my entry into the character and not get frustrated. Sometimes it, it'll happen that you'll, you'll have an emotional connection immediately and that, that'll take you there. Sometimes you can't find it, but that's your challenge. So you do it when you put on the jacket or you put on the hat or, or whatever. And then you go, aha, okay, this guy is this guy or whatever that thing is. So, so, that's, so that's also, I think, important. Mm-hmm. Last thing I will say is that I know some actors are really good at keeping that character alive off and on screen. I'm of a different mind. I, I mean, I respect that, but I'm of a different mind. I think also the challenge is that I should be able to do enough research and have enough confidence in me that I can take that character and use it when I have to use it and then walk away from it because it's not fair that my wife or my children or my, or my parents live with the serial killer that I'm playing. It's not informing me. It's not informing because I'm playing the serial killer in my life, not in the life of the character. Yeah, that's really, really you insightful. See? I see that. So what you're saying is sometimes, so in your case, you don't, you don't blur the lines between playing a character and who you actually are, but some, some actors do is what you're saying. Yes. What I'm saying is that I create a bridge between the character that I'm playing and myself, which on which my soul can travel. You see, and as I said, whatever works for an actor, they should do that. So I have no issue with that. But my, for me personally, I think it is healthier for me to walk away from it and live my life as far as. I think it's important for me. It's just the same way for me when I write something or when you have written something, when you go back to it, you, you can be even more precise because you have, you have fresh eyes to look at it. So I like, I like to approach my character that way and hone it that way. Then I step away for a second, look at it, and then go, huh, okay, 
maybe this is something that I can try. You know, so I, so to, for me, that works. And, and for me, it's healthier to have the character, have both these, these personalities live in me and create a bridge between them and merge them whenever I can. Mm-hmm. So this is really interesting. So of all the characters that you've played starting your career in 1994 to, to now, right, you've had over, I don't know, gosh, what, 30, 40 appearances, 50 appearances from everything from, you know, Star Trek, Iron Man, uh, to, to MacGyver, like, and everything in between. Help us understand, you know, who has been the most difficult character for you to play? And then subsequently, who has been the easiest character for you to play? So, so there are two things here. Sometimes people ask me, what is, what is my favorite character? And, and I always say that, you know what, my favorite character always has, always has to be the last character that I played. And the reason I say that is because if I haven't given all my energy to it, then I did a disservice to it. Which doesn't mean that it always, it always succeeds. It can really fall flat on its face. <laughs> so so, so there's, there, there's that side to it. You know, that's part of it. The other part is that the hardest characters to, for me to play have always been on stage. And, and I'll say that why. Film gives you a very different challenge, film and screen. Theater gives you a very different challenge. Theater is basically an actress medium because once lights go on, until lights go off, no matter what happens, you are on stage in front of you. And you have to make it work somehow. Which gives you a lot of power and that makes you also very vulnerable at the same time. But it's all happening in real time in front of you. Chairs can break, something can happen, bulbs can go out, whatever. You still have to find a way to make it work. That's a challenge that, that theater gives you. Film and television give you a different challenge, which is sometimes to sustain the same emotion over 18 takes. Right? So on that level, it's not a question of what is easy and what is difficult. They are both easy and difficult in their own way. The reason I find theater characters harder to play is because you have to start in one point and end in, in another. You have to live that character for two and a half, three hours or whatever, from point A to point Z without a breath that is your own. And that energy that you have to create and the economies of scale that you have to use in those hours of hour three is a huge responsibility at that point. And, and it's a beautiful challenge. And, and again, you have to do it over and over and over again for two, three, four, five months and keep it fresh every time. So that those become your hardest challenge for me. Right, right. And I appreciate you sharing that nuanced kind of response to, to better differentiating the different modalities of being an actor and the different modalities of being a creative performer. So from all the different works that you've been a part of, whether you've been the main protagonist, the antagonist, whether it's been on stage, in front of the camera, you know, what production have you just been so enthralled with where you thought to yourself, at the end of the production, when it went live, whether it was a play or a Hollywood hit, what was the production where you thought to yourself, man, I am really proud to have been part of this? What stands out for you of all the work that you've done throughout all these years? There are a few. I'll say like, you know, I mean, one of the big ones that I was really proud of was Iron Man. 
and only because because I think it was it was a film where everybody was trying to do something that they had not done before. So there, there was a camaraderie between people. Uh, and the reason I say that is because Marvel was making their first flagship movie. So that was their first big thing that they were doing. John Favreau, the director, had not done a superhero movie at this point, ever. Robert Downey Jr. was not a, an action hero yet. Right? So they were, again, so we go back to the same idea that there was humility in the room. Everybody was trying to learn from each other. And it created something that, that we could all be proud of because everybody felt listened to and considered. And we were all trying to do something that was sincerely fun and good. It doesn't matter whether there was like, you know, a high drama or, or, or whatever. But it was the camaraderie that, 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 that is why I would think that was a really good film because everybody felt that it was theirs. And that ownership was beautiful. Yeah. It felt like it was all of yours because it was so new. It was so innovative. And it's also really important to note, too, that when making a film, this may not be so obvious, although it should, is that there quite literally is an army of people taking care of the, you know, the construction and or the creation of this film, whether it's the main actor, the director, and then everybody behind the camera to include all the extras. It's really a major production. And that was my experience working uh, with Paramount on Whiskey Tango Fox. It just, it just takes an entire army of people to make a film. Farhan, I'd like to pivot here and talk to you about, you know, your Pakistani-American identity, in particular as it relates to filmmaking in South Asia and then filmmaking in America. Help us understand the differences and, and the similarities and how you kind of understand both worlds. Mm, mm. The industry side of it. You know, I, I think part of it is, you know, a lot of the content that's made in Pakistan and also in India is for domestic consumption. And it, it spreads out into the diaspora as the diaspora wants to have their connection with, with the heritage that they, they come from, right? Understandable. So a lot of, lot of the content made here is not global, I, I would say. It is very, it's regional. And because of that, I think the, the issue that I, the, the difference between the two industries that I see is that the strength of, of Hollywood is that all genres are explored. You know, you can go from comedy to drama to whatever, you know, blah, 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 blah. In, in South Asia, there are very few genres that have been explored and become the expected standard. And people sometimes are not veering out of that. And that is the, I would say, the, the official industry of, of this part of the world, right? And they keep feeding the same thing. And because it sells, more of that goes out. Sometimes I personally think that in doing so, some quality can suffer because you're doing mass production, you're assembly line producing, right? So that's part of it. On the flip side of it, there is a really great movement. Now I'm seeing it more and more because I've spent some time here, which is almost a parallel movement, which is grittier, rawer, braver in many ways, actually taking on issues which really matter. And sometimes, you know, the execution might not be as good, but there's a drive there. There's a drive to put that content out. And that content excites me uh, here in South Asia because I think people are very smart and they, 
can make things out of nothing. And that is creativity to me, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, so I think, that, I think that's the thing. It, on, on the flip side, in, in Hollywood, yeah, I mean, you know, because you can make so many things, so many genres and everything, sometimes the structure helps you and sometimes the structure is the curse because it, it prevents from new, fresh thinking people to find the limelight and find the recognition. So sometimes I think the bravest work in, in the U.S. or in the world that's happening is in, it's in, the, in the Indies. It's not in the, in the big movies. Big movies are money-making machines. Iron Man and all those are wonderful, fun you know, things that you want to go and see, but it has merchandising uh, attached to it. It has you know, all of that part of that. So that's a whole other, that's a whole other beast. But filmmaking, filmmaking, I think some, some, some of the indie filmmaking is probably what pushes movies forward. Big movies push technology forward and indie movies push the art and the thought forward, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think, Farhan, this is a great segue to talk about your latest independent film, I'll Meet You There, which is directed by Iram Padwin Bilal, who was on the podcast. The film is great. Um, your performance is great. And so why did you decide to partake in this film? And what do you think about the message of the film as it pertains to the Muslim American identity? Well, I, I wanted to be part of this film because there are so many stories that we need to tell. And sometimes what happens is that especially when we're doing stories which have you know, where the central story is immigrants and, and, and children and all of that. Uh, the story that we see a lot and hear a lot is a story of this huge clash between the immigrant parents and the first generation children. And, and that is a true story. I mean, that, ha- that has happened and it will continue to happen. But it is not the only experience and the only story in the larger, in this novel. You know, there are other short stories in there also. And they're as, they're as powerful, as legitimate, and, and have as much reason to be shared because there are people who've gone through that. So having said that, the reason what attracted me to this, to this screenplay was that it was telling a different story, uh, a different kind of relation. And I think now that's South Asians, let's say South Asians, we have been part of the American culture for, you know, more than... Well, I mean, we got here when the, when the railroads were being built, but that's, that's a whole other time. But actively, uh, for the last 50, 75 years. So, I mean, we have been there for a while. And we have many stories to tell. And it's by telling all of those stories is how we can knit together the true experience of, let's say, South Asians. So, that was one of the reasons that I wanted to tell this, be part of this story, because what... The spirit of the story was that with all these differences, families can still come together. That whether it's a geographical distance or emotional distance or ideological difference or, or whatever it might be, there are ways to give each other enough room and respect each other enough that we create love in this and hold on to that. And to me, that was the message that really drove me to this story. That each person, the, the three, let's say, the, the three protagonists of the movie, had their own journeys, and they were each one was battling something. What they were not losing was even if they're like 
clashed with each other. That what they could not lose was a bond and this love that no matter what happens was going to emerge, if not sooner than later. And to me, that was a beautiful message. Yeah, and the film is fantastic. Your performance is superb. Once again, the film is called I'll Meet You There. For those that haven't seen it, go off and see it. There's a lot to be learned and understood just by watching that film. So Farhan, at this point, I'd like to talk to you about your Pakistani-American identity as it pertains to how people from both these worlds of yours that you straddle get wrong about each other. So what do people from South Asia and Pakistan in particular get wrong about Americans? And then what do Americans get wrong about Pakistanis and South Asians writ large? I think I think we, we, we keep looking at each other from a very myopic lens. And we do it on both sides. We are stereotyping the other side without, without looking at the big picture. Let's give an example. I don't want to get political or, or anything, but just as an example. 9-11 happened. One of the biggest tragedies of our lifetime. And it changed the world forever. Now, the perception that that created for some people was that this entire block of humanity, which are the Muslims, are against the, the Western civilization. And, and the truth is that that's not the case. The perception that goes out in the general public is that that whole side of, of the world is against this side of the world, which was not true. That particular tragedy was the responsibility and the orchestration of a particular group with a particular ideology and a particular kind of thinking, which was rated to destruction. Similarly, years later, there was a, a church or, or some place in Florida where the, whoever led that place wanted to burn a lot, all the Qurans on 9-11. Right, right. I think his name was Pastor Jones. Pastor Jones, right? Okay. Now, the truth is that when 9-11 happened, the majority of the Muslims were shook up by it, were completely hurt by it, and spoke out against it. But if the information is not getting to the people here, the perception here would be the East is doing that, right? Similarly, when that Pastor Jones things happened, there was enough resistance from the Americans, not Muslim Americans, yes, Muslim Americans, but also Americans Americans, that this is the wrong thing to do. Now, if this information doesn't get to the East, they also don't understand that the majority of the people are way more than what we have been led to believe of each other, right? So we come in as actors, as, as artists, is to keep on telling those stories. So those, those ideas of people which are so solidified and so myopic, if we can't shatter them, at least we can put a chink in there every time we do this and keep telling the stories that matter and actually bring people closer together I mean, I say this all the time that, you know, we always look for the differences between people and we forego the humanity of it. One of the things that I talk about a lot is that if, if on CNN you turn off the image and there's a woman 
wailing, you just hear her. Your heart goes out to that woman, regardless of what color, faith, whatever. You know, you feel that if she's lost a, a child or whatever. It's when, when you turn on the image, is when the veils of our separation starts. Oh, 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 she's, she's, she's from that country and I, I don't like those people. Or, you know, she's Israeli, Palestinian, Indian, Pakistani, whatever, whatever, Russian, American, right? So, so we start to, what we forget is that that human connection was there, which we then started to separate ourselves from. And that is the issue that you see on both sides, which is the misconceptions and misinformation more than the hatred. That's the hatred is because of that. So, so that's that's something that I deal with all day. But by the same token, the last thing I will say on this is this: that again, we're talking about masks and hats. You know, to say that that as a person, this is the only thing that I think about. Again, I go back to the character thing. Is would be would be wrong, right? I don't walk around saying that I'm a Muslim. I'm Muslim. I'm Muslim all day long to remind myself that I am one. More than I walk around saying that I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm a man to remind myself that I am one. You see, at different times, different things will interact with me, and that makes it. That's something that we all need to understand. That rather than looking at people at myopically, look at you might be only seeing one of their hats, and not the entire collection. Mm-hmm. I often think about identity in these terms: is that identity exists not in a vacuum, but it exists when the world brings attention to a certain aspect of your own identity, whether it's being a man, being a Muslim, being a woman, being from Pennsylvania, being from Lahore. You name it. It doesn't come up unless the world brings attention to it. So I'm glad you shared that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't put it better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So what I'd like to do here, Farhan, as we come to a close is, you know, ask you based on your, your work and your lived experience, you know, what is your message for the world? I, I think everything that we've been talking about, which, which really is, if by doing whatever I'm doing, if I can help people actually connect to our humanity first, because we, we are everything else we're later, right? I mean, what, what religion we became, what, what color, all of that. But there is a connection between us. So if, if we can just relax, give each other the room, and, and keep on thinking about what connects us, not what separates us, but what connects us. I think our focus has always been on what separates us, what language, what color, what, you know, what traditions, what books, blah, blah, blah. But why are we not speaking about what connects us? So that's my message is, and what I would want to remember, remember it for is that I kept on saying, let's look for the connection. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful message. And um, Farhan Tahir. I just want to say thank you for your time and thank you for the work that you do and uh, thank you for being the light in the darkness, sir. Thank you for having me. This conversation, if nothing else, made me feel like I grew in the conversation. So thank oh, you. That's great. That's great. My pleasure. Glad to be of service. All right, man. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, please share it far and wide. 
this podcast is made possible by a superb group of individuals. Specifically, this podcast was produced by Joe Ganjemi. Digital marketing by Catherine Ahn. Artwork by Mashida Hadi. And theme music by Kais Esaud. You can find us online via Stories of Transformation on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we have an online community named the Stories of Transformation Group. In this group, we discuss topics related to the human condition. Please join us. We'd love your engagement. Thank you for your support, and see you next time.